You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Now, the passage that you have in front of us is actually a unique one. It's not found in any of the other Gospels, but the story, the undercurrent behind it, the, the, the sense, the point of the whole thing is very, very common. In fact, it's so common that John wrote his entire Gospel around it. A little bit later on in John's Gospel, almost towards the end in John chapter 20, we read this, that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, John wrote these, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says, I wrote this so that you would believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and that by believing you would find true Life. That's the whole point of John's gospel. That's the point of John chapter 5. That's the point of our passage today. To see, to hear, and to believe that only in Jesus is there life. Now, why is this important? Because outside of these walls, outside of this building, outside of our church, there are many who will say, no, 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 no. Jesus isn't life. Life isn't found in Jesus. Life is found in something else. They'll say all kinds of things, like, you know, you know what you need? You need, to, you need to just go up north, and you just need to enjoy the outside. Ah, you know what? This, 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 this is living. This is life. There's others who say, you know what you need to get is just get more stuff. And, 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 and happiness is found in what you have. If you get that, you're happy. If you get that, now, 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 that, that is living. The world is full of messages that are everything but this truth that John wants to lay out for us today, that in Jesus, only in Jesus, is life to be found. So my heart for us as we walk through this passage today is that you would see it, that you would hear it, and that you would believe it, that Jesus is life. So our passage written or or occurring some 2,000 years ago for us records this amazing scene for us. I'm going to read a few verses and then we'll pray together. John 5 verse 1 says this, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he'd been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Let's pray. God, I pray that you would be leading us through this passage now. We stop and we pause and we pray, not because it's something we always do, but because it's something that we need to always do. Lord, I pray that you would protect your people here today from a man speaking from them, to them. I pray, God, that you would speak in and through my weaknesses and that the, your people would hear from you today. We need to hear from you. We don't need more worldly wisdom or worldly counsel or worldly advice. We need the truth that sets us free. We need the truth of life. And Lord, I pray that you would be reaching to us today, that you would be gripping this room that your spirit would be moving among our hearts and calling us to see things that maybe we haven't seen and to run to you, Lord. We pray that our hearts answer the question of whether we want to be healed with the word yes 
and that we would run to you. So Lord, we pray that you would lead. We pray that you would glorify yourself now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, the task ahead of us is to see, to hear, and to believe it that Jesus gives life. Let's walk through our text now. Uh, point number one in our outlines is this. I want you to see it. I want you to see Jesus' power. So see it. Jesus gives life. Look at his power. The scene is Jerusalem. In fact, the disciples and Jesus have left Cana, the text tells us, before this, and they've walked into Jerusalem for a feast. What feast is it? We're not quite sure. But the funny thing with feasts in ancient Israel was that when it was a feast, and a specific feast, uh, five of them, uh, what was required was that all the men from all around the nation would go into Jerusalem and to worship on behalf of their families. So this city, Jerusalem, is packed Anywhere between 600,000 to a million men are packed into the city, crowded, crowded city, cramped places. Into the city walks Jesus. And John tells us more in verse 2. He tells us that the scene is not just Jerusalem, but a place by the Sheep Gate in Aramaic uh, called, called Bethesda. Bethesda. And it has, the text tells us, five roofed colonnades. Now, recent archaeological evidence has discovered this, or the remains of this, and here's a model's mock-up of what this uh, pool of Bethesda would look like. Originally, it started off as one pool at the top here, and then now two pools. Why? Because it is so needed. Because there's so many sick and so many lame who would come and travel to Bethesda to find the waters and the healings in the water. So this is five roof colonnades. These two are connected. One, two, three, four, five. But more importantly than the architecture of the building is the people that would come here. The text tells us that it's filled with invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. The sick and the lame would come here thinking that this was a place of healing. Uh, more on that in a moment. So what we've got so far is a, a packed city with a lot of people in it, some million people inside a small area jammed in the streets. And then we've got a packed pool filled with a lot of sick people. And now verse 4. Verse 4. Wait a minute. Where's verse 4? Do you have verse 4? I don't have verse 4. Where's verse 4? Verse 4 is actually footnoted. Do you see that? At the bottom, the ESV marks it that there's no verse 4. It goes from 1, 2, 3, 5. And the reason why, don't be, don't be alarmed by this, okay? We okay? Don't be alarmed. Uh, verse 4, the reason why verse 4 is footnoted and not actually up in the text is because this is a later addition uh, to the Scriptures. So if you have an older Bible like a KJV, it will have verse 4 because it was translated off an older translation. But younger translations, and when I say younger translations, I mean the first 400 years of church history, there's no verse 4. And then all of a sudden, verse 4 pops up in around 460 A.D. in a new manuscript. So what happened? Well, scholars out there are saying, well, the, verse 4 does not belong in the original, but it's helpful for us to understand what the text is going on. Very likely, a translator marked in the margin note what the actual sentimentality behind it was. He marked in the margin note what the superstitious nature of the pool was like. Uh, that people thought that an angel would come down, stir the waters, and then everyone jumps in the pool. Uh, you can see the superstitious nature in the text further on. If you look at verse 7, as Jesus talks to the sick man and he answers him, so I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. Okay, so what is he saying there? He's saying this is a, this is a superstitious place. Uh, this is not surprising for us because there's superstitious places out there in the world right now where people will go, desperate people will go, and they think they can be healed in a superstitious location. This is what's going on in, in this place place right now. It's a superstitious pool where people think, if the waters get stirred, I'm going to jump in. 
Kind of like the, 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 the wave pool at the water park. You know, when you hear the whistle go, everyone runs. This is what's happening here. It's, they believe that there's healing associated with the waters. So you can imagine the scene of, of hundreds and maybe even thousands of sick, lame people looking at water all day long, waiting for it to be stirred up, and then trying to get in. That's the scene. But the scene narrows, and we're told in verse 5 that there's one particular man who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Quick question, 38 years, long time, short time? Long time? Long time. In fact, in that day, almost an entire life expectancy. 38 years, sick, an invalid. That word means having no power, a weakling, zero power. This man lays there. 38 years. And it's not like it is today. If, if, if you suffer with similar conditions, you can be a contributing member of society with, similar, with greater accessibility and greater uh, equipment to help you navigate the difficulty of life. No, no, no. Back then, your life is misery, complete misery. You can't use your legs. There's no wheelchairs. You're getting carried or you're crawling. So imagine this, this man's life what this guy at 36 years would have had, uh, alienated from society. His very existence is, is, is to try and survive and try and be healed. To beg for money all day. To, to impose upon your family. To do anything to survive. And when, when the doctors can't do anything, and when the priests can't do anything, and when your family gets tired of you, and when your friends get tired of you, you go to desperate places. You go to anywhere that you think would help you. You find yourself in superstitious places even. You, you do anything you can. You, you crawl with your hands to make your way to the pool at Bethesda. Now, interestingly, that word Bethesda means the house of mercy. And so all day, you would wait at the house of mercy. You would scratch for mercy at the house of mercy, longing for mercy. Maybe today will be the day. Maybe today will be the day I can get to the water in time. Maybe today will be the day. And maybe some days you wake up with hope and you think, okay, today's the day. I will crawl myself with my hands to Bethesda. Or, or maybe what I think is more common, this was just a regular day, a day with not a lot of hope. But because your life is just your sickness, all you do is get to Bethesda. So that's what I do. So I crawl on my hands to Bethesda. And I go and I stare at the water all day. And I hope to make it in time. Staring at water all day. Who knows what this day started like for this man? Uh, verse 5, we don't know. It doesn't tell us whether he was hopeful or not hopeful. Uh, but, but, but the amazing thing is, regardless of how the day started, the day's going to end very differently for him. He's, he's in there, and picture this, in the house of mercy, and now into the house of mercy walks the master of mercy. And we read this in verse 6. And by the way, before we get to verse 6, don't you just love when you know the ending to the Bible story? And you're like, oh man, you have no, I, your life is hard, but you are about to meet Jesus. Hold on to your hats. Here he comes. Look at verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he'd already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me down in the, in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus has seen him, and 
he walks right up to him. What, what, what did that scene look like? Can you imagine that? Picture being in that place, in that, in that pool area with the five colonnades and, and, and hundreds and thousands of people staring at water, waiting for it to move. And in walks Jesus. Was he seen? Was he recognized? What did it look like? And notice the text tells us that he knew, Jesus knew that he'd already been there a long time. And some scholars will say, well, you know, that's because he's omniscient and he knows that. I think, honestly, you can just tell when someone's been sick for 38 years. Not discrediting the omniscience of Jesus, but I think Jesus sees him and knows this is a guy who's hurting. And he walks right up to him, and, 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 and obviously he, you know, he comes right up to him to, so that you can hear him. He doesn't shout across the pool. So, you know, I picture him kind of walking right up and, and maybe even getting down low and, and leaning over his shoulder saying, do you want to be healed? And the man's answer, I have, I have no one to put me in the water. I, I can't get there. Do you want to be healed? Remember, what are they looking at, right? All day long, looking at water. All day long, staring at what they think will save them. I'm I, reading the text and thinking, how, how amazing is this? That, that into this quiet pool area, this colonnade of sick people, Jesus walks. Jesus, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Jesus, the one who sustains the universe right now. Jesus, who invents water comes into the area, and everyone's staring at water, 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 water. Oh, I can't wait to get in the water. And then there's the creator over his shoulder saying to him, do you want to be healed? And the man says, I can't get to that. What are they staring at? They're staring at what? What's everyone staring at? They're staring at water. And then I started thinking about my own life. Then I started thinking about the things that I go through and when life gets hard for me and and the worldliness of my heart the things that I look to. What is it that I stare at like a pool at Bethesda? What are my pools? What, what does Craig Turnbull stare at all day long? What, you, know, the, you know these pools are. They're easy to identify in your life. They're the things that you're saying. If I could just have that, It's the longing of your heart when you're driving your car to work. It's the longing of your heart when you're caring for your kids. It's the longing of your heart when you're sitting and having a coffee. It's what you daydream about. It's what you dream about. It's what you spend your money on. You know what those pools are. It's If I could just have that, Lord. If I could just have one more thing, Lord. If I could just have that object, Lord. If I could just have that relationship, Lord. If I could just have that lifestyle, Lord. If I could just have that, And meanwhile, all the while, the fullness of life is right there over my shoulder, speaking to me, do you want to be healed? But I'm saying, if I could just have this. You know, I drew a very complicated diagram for you. I want you to pull this up, okay? (laughs) This took two hours in my office to work this through. Here's the man, immobile, can't move, (laughs) looking at the pool all day long. I'm looking at my own life saying, what are those things that I want in the difficult times, in the hard times, if I could just have this? And honestly, before you, you know, if it's Craig Turnbull laying here and looking at that and saying, okay, in the hard times, what am I want? I'm, I'm wanting one more thing. I'm wanting to buy one more thing. I'm wanting to take that money and, and I know I'll be happy. I know I'll be happy if I could get that. Or, or sometimes it's, I know if I, you know, I'm a hard day, rough day, struggling, you know what, I'll just eat 
have something else to eat. Or, or hard days struggling. You know, it's time for me to daydream about what that uh, perfect life would look like, what that perfect family would look like, what that perfect job would look like, if I could just have this. And the funny thing about this is, and you know this, you've lived long enough, you, you, you know this is true, that when you sometimes get that, do you know what ends up happening, right? You get it, and it's good for a moment, and then you're like, okay, yeah, okay, here, if I could just have that now, then things would be great, and life would be great. That's the thing with pools. They satisfy you for a moment, but then they leave you wanting more. They satisfy you for a second, but they never fully quench you. You know, we have a literal pool in the condo complex that I live in. I live in a townhouse condo, and, and there's a pool just up the way around the road, and you just walk there, and you grab your beach towels. And so, you know, walking with my family over these past couple weeks on those really hot days, you know, when it's like, whoa, hot, we walk to the pool, and you get to that pool, and you jump in that pool, and wow. You know, backstrokes, spurt to water, everything's amazing. You get out of the pool and you're walking home and it's hot out. And I, I start off like this, oh, that pool was so refreshing, yes. But then it seems like the road is longer home and it's like, oh, you know, you're getting there and then you're hot again and I'm like at the foot of the driveway and I turn to the kids, let's just go back. <laughs> That's how it is with pools and that's how it is with these pools in our lives, too, and these pools in our hearts. If I could just have this, I could just have this, I could just have this. Here we are seeing God's word laying out for us where thousands and hundreds of people are staring at a pool looking for their deliverance, and in walks the creator who says to him, do you want to be healed? And the man says, uh, I, I, I don't have anyone to put me in the pool when the water's stirred up. And while I'm going, another one steps down before me. The, the man's answer highlights the fact that he not only has no power, he also has no friends. He's in a place of saying, I know what I want, but I have no one to get me there. I know what the answer is, but I have no help to get me to that place. I can't figure it out, and I can't call a friend. I'm weak, and I'm alone. And a lot of us are in that place, even today. Staring at a pool and saying, I have no help to get me there. I have no help to get me there. And the greatest help is right next to us. The man thinks his reality is he's alone, he's friendless, he's got no one. But that's far from it. Because right at his shoulder, speaking words to him at this moment, is the creator. God himself who declares to this man, do you want to be healed? It's the one who's loved him from eternity past. Not alone, not alone, no, completely with God. Is this us as well? You know, I've, I've tried this, I've tried that, I've tried this, I, I'm not quenched with that. I've tried living this, I've tried getting stuff, I've tried fulfilling it in the roles, I've tried these experiences, and all of these things are just leaving me empty, and I can't fill it up. And not only that, I have no one to solve the problem. If I could just get one more thing, I'm sure that would be it. But maybe the words are speaking to us as well today. Do you want to be healed? Well, the answer to this is the man's answer. It's the only answer. It's Jesus. Do you want to be healed? It's found in Jesus. Now, Jesus answers him in verse 8. And, and what I want you to notice is that Jesus does not say to the man in response to verse 7, hey, I'll sit there with you. I'll carry you into the pool when the time comes. No, 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 Jesus is declaring in verse 8, the answer is not the pool, buddy. The answer is me. I'm the one who heals. Me. Look what he says in verse 8. 
Jesus says to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, 38 years of legs that don't work. 38 years of weakness, of powerless, of friendlessness, uh, healed in the moment with the words of Jesus Christ. Imagine yourself in that scene. What did that look like? What did that look like as the feet begin to tingle, as the muscles regenerate, the muscles that have atrophied and weakened start to fill and, 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 and fill with energy and vitality again? These dead legs get life. You know, in, in pre- preparing for this message this week, I, I was looking at the, the visual Bible and, and watching this scene unfold with the text underneath and the actors playing out the scene. And I'll tell you, don't do it because it's not, it's not thrilling, okay? I think it was somewhat less than. No awards to them, as much as I love that product. Think about this. I saw the scene, and, and, and this is how it goes, basically. He tells him, you know, get up, take up your mat, and walk. And the man stands up, and he has this look upon his legs, like, And then he smiles like he's tasted a new flavor of Slurpee at (laughs) 7-Eleven. It was almost like he's like, wow, that is so interesting. Thank you. Thank you. And then he, is that how the scene unfolded? No way, man. Hey, hey, get up. Take up your mat and walk. I think the man stands up and starts to move his legs, and I bet you he starts to laugh. I bet you he starts to smile as the joy fills his heart. This is how these things work. I bet you he starts to jump. I bet you he starts to dance. I bet you there's a joy uncontrollable in this man's heart as the power reaches this man. 38 years, dead legs brought to life. 38 years of immobility, of weakness, of friendlessness. 38 years, he's now standing there, healed in a moment with the words of Jesus Christ. Not thrown into a pool, no, healed by the mouth of Jesus. That's the power of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see that. I want you to see that. And I want you to see as well how many times we place ourselves in that position of staring at a pool that won't satisfy? Oh, if I could just get, if I could just get, I could just get this. And meanwhile, uh, uh, moving ourselves away from the power of Jesus Christ to actually bring real satisfaction in our hearts. I want you to see it. I want you to see the power of Jesus. I want you to see it, but I also want you to hear it. I want you to hear this. It's point two in our outline. Hear it, Jesus' command. Verse nine tells us that the day that this man, 38 years sick, was healed was on a Sabbath day. Now, verse 10 tells us uh, this piece of the story. So the Jews, that's the religious leaders at the time, the religious leaders come up to him and to the man who'd been healed and said, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. You can't carry that. Do you think they knew this man, 38 years sick? Yeah, I think so. I think they knew him. And that's the first thing they say to him when they see him. Uh, You can't carry that. Now, the backlog to this is, the backstory to this is, in the Mosaic Law Code of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, it describes the fact that we are to keep the Sabbath holy, keep it free from work. So you're to uh, not work on the Sabbath day. Now, uh, thousands of years later, as the temple is rebuilt, these Jewish leaders at the time, they come along and say, well, what is work? Um, Let's define work this way. 
at least in part. If you pick up something in a public place and walk it to a private place, that's breaking the Sabbath because you probably bought it and therefore that's work. And what's more, that is a capital offense. Breaking the Sabbath will get you taken out of the city, thrown into a gravel pit where men will throw rocks at your head until you're dead. That's the first thing they see when they see him. You can't carry that. This is a hostile conversation. The man is being threatened immediately with his life, immediately after being healed. Now, interestingly, here's another occasion, another instance in God's Word of men taking this book and making it say something that it does not say. So I think every believer needs three simple words in their repertoire when talking to anyone who would want to do that, which is this, show me where. Show me where it tells me that that what you're saying to me is true. Maybe there's a knock on the door, maybe there's someone on your front porch telling you something and you're saying to them, show me where it says that Jesus isn't God. Show me where it says that God isn't three. Show me where it says that God doesn't love me with a limitless love who died on the cross for me. Show me where. Well, the man probably should have said, show me where, uh, but he didn't. He said something different. In the moment, he, uh, uh, he, he didn't say, show me where I can't grab my bed and pick it up. But instead, verse 11, he said this, uh, the man who healed me, that, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. It wasn't me. It was the guy who healed me. He, he told me to do that. He commanded me to do this. And so then they ask him in verse 12, well, who is the man who said this to you? Take up your bed and walk. Verse 13, now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Who healed you? I, I don't have any idea. Now, had the man probably heard of Jesus? Yes. Uh, the, the, the fame of Jesus is spreading at this point. But does the man have any access to go and see Jesus? No, he couldn't move. He was moving on his hands. And so when someone comes to you and says, take up your bed and walk, you don't know that's Jesus because you haven't seen him before. So very likely this man, we can't read too much into this, it seems he honestly didn't know who Jesus was. But Jesus is about to fix this. Verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. That word see is literally, look at you. You can picture Jesus backing up and seeing, Hey, look at you. You're well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Now compare that with the Pharisees who say to him, Why are you picking up your bed and walking around? underlying threat of death to Jesus is, look at you, you're well. Don't sin that nothing worse may happen to you. Now that other part, what does that mean, that don't sin that nothing worse may happen to you? That needs some explaining. Uh, we, we need to understand what that. Now, 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 what Jesus is saying is it could mean that the man's sin 38 years ago caused him to lose the use of his legs. It could mean that. That would make him a pretty older man. Uh, no offense to me, who's older than 38, but, or you, who might be older than 38. But uh, That would make him an older man. But more importantly, what Jesus, I think, is pointing to is now, now, Mr. Dancing Legs, with your new life, don't live it for sin. Don't hurt yourself. Don't bring sin into your life and bring pain into your life. You, you choose to sin with this new life that you've got, then you're going to choose to bring pain and suffering into your life. Choose to sin, choose to 
be hurt. That's what Jesus says to him. It's a, it's a loving statement. Let me put it this way. We are, are, have a little one in our home, and we're back in the stage of the light socket fascination, you know? A uh, little one crawling around, and uh, uh, light socket is like, to him, is like the most magnificent thing in the entire universe. And if I can just get to the light socket, and he gets to the light socket, and he props himself up on his knees, and he holds a hand against the wall, and holds his finger like this, and you say to him, No. No. And then the last one is a smile, right? Like he's cuter than me. And, and then he touches it, but he can't fit his finger in, so you, then you take his hand away. No. And then you put the plastic caps on. What are we saying to him in that moment? We're saying to him, we don't want you to get hurt, man. Don't do that. That's what God's word says to us over and over and over again. God's ways, God's rules, always right always for my good. Always right, always for my good. So what's Jesus saying to the man at that point? Listen, son, don't bring fire into your life now. With this new life that you've got, with these new legs that you've got, don't sin. Don't bring that pain into your life. Live it for the glory of God. Live it for the glory of God. Don't hurt yourself. God's rules, God's ways, always for my good. Now, this got me thinking again, if we could go back to the pool. I got me thinking about the stuff that I listen to and the commands that I listen to in my life. The diagram has changed. Did you notice this? Drastic change. That took another two hours. <laughs> what kind of commands do I listen to in my life? When I pick up God's word and, and, and the truths of God's word say, my rules, my ways, always for your good. Don't bring fire into your life. Do you know what I'll do? Sometimes I'll forget that book and I'll put that book away. And I'll start to listen to things and commands and people and reading and media that will tell me how to get to my pool. That's the commands I want. Okay, God's word says, you know, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But you know what? If I could just have a bit more money, that's my pool. If I could just have a bit more of that, that would make my life, if I could just have that. So now I will listen to that person who tells me how to get that. What is your pool? And you'll notice that you're listening to people who tell you how to get to that pool. The people that you want around you are the people that tell you that your pool is okay. It's okay to want that thing more than anything else, and here's how you get it. That's what I want to listen to. How many times, Craig Turnbull, will I willingly listen to and willingly allow and even embrace commands that cause me to crawl away from the love of God in Christ, crawl away from the word of God and the words of life to lead me to words of death. How many times do I do this? But the reality is, is that God's commands are always for my good. This book that you have in front of you never lies to you. It speaks the best truth to you. These words that bring life to you. I want you to see it. I want you to hear it. And now I want you to believe it. Point number three in our outline is believe this. Believe it. Jesus' dominion. Believe it. Jesus' dominion. We've seen uh, evidence of 
great things in this man who's been healed. This is an amazing side note to the story. Uh, Verse 15 tells us that the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Uh, Now, we don't get from the story that the man fell at Jesus' feet and worshiped him. We don't get from the story that the man begged to follow Jesus. We don't get from the man the story that he invited Jesus into his life to be Lord and Savior over him. But we do get this amazing fruit that speaks of a changed life. This amazing fruit that we see in verse 15, that the man went away from Jesus and went back and told the Jews that it was Jesus. Now, why is that so amazing? Because Jesus is not popular at this time. Oh, he's popular with the crowds. In fact, everyone knows who he is. His fame is spreading out throughout all the regions. Matthew's gospel tells him that his fame spreads through Syria and through Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem to Judea. Great crowds are following him. The sick are being healed. People know who Jesus are. People know who Jesus is. Uh, And the religious leaders also know who Jesus is, and they don't like him because he's walked into the temple already and flipped over tables. He's cleared out the court. He's spoken against them. So he's popular with the masses, but he's not popular with the religious muckety-mucks. They know who Jesus is. So imagine this man who's been healed, brand new legs, 38 years, walking back after meeting, oh, it was Jesus I met, then turning around and going, I'm going to go tell them now. Walking back to the men who loved him and embraced him and who were rejoicing over the fact that he was healed? No, to the man who threatened his life with death because he picked up a mat and walked with it. And he walks back, and you can picture the scene, can't you? He walks back and, oh, hey, hey, guys. Hey, over here, probably still dancing, right, moving his legs like this. Hey, guys, over here, look, me. Hey, remember me, 38 years? Remember me, 38 years? You guys got sick of me? I had nobody, no friends, You couldn't help me. The doctors couldn't help me. My family gave up on me. My friends all left me. I laid by the pool of Bethesda for day in and day out. I stared at water. Remember me? Guess what? It was Jesus who healed me. It was Jesus who made me whole. It's Jesus who's given me these new legs. It's Jesus. So take that. You picture the undertone behind this story. Now, that's an amazing fruit that this man has in his life. It speaks of a changed life in Christ. But what's more amazing is that's not John's point in these next verses. Look with me at verse 16. And this, this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Okay, all that with the man and the testifying, that needs to end. And Jesus healing on the Sabbath, that needs to end. So let's persecute Jesus. And that word for persecute means to try and run him out of town. To bother him so much, he says, fine, I'll leave. Fine, I'll go away. Fine, your pestering has done enough to me. I'm going to walk away. How did that turn out? Let's take a look. Verse 17. Oh, but Jesus answered them. So it didn't turn out well, did it? Jesus walked right back up to them. Jesus, we don't know the time. We don't know the event. We don't know when. But we do know that he walked up to them, and he answered them and said, my father is working until now, and I am working. That statement is so big. My father is working until now, and I am working. What's Jesus saying here? Well, first, understand the statement. That term for my, that's a term of intimacy that you just did not use at that time. You know how when we can pray, we have this unlimited access to the Father, and maybe in your times with prayer, you'll pray, my Father, would you please, my Father, be glorified in my... That's not what you said back then. You would say, our Father. 
all of us together. But Jesus chooses my, a term of intimacy, a term of closeness. My Father is working every day, he says. What does he mean by that? That's a, that's a point to the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath? You can't work on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, says to them, my Father works every day, and I work every day. And the Jews would agree with that, that God worked every day. They wouldn't say that God was a Sabbath breaker. They would say that God set the Sabbath, so he's allowed to do whatever he wants on the Sabbath. And they would look at the sun as it rose. They would look at the storms as they came, as the rain as it falls, as the babies as they're born. And they would say, well, clearly God is allowed to work. The Sabbath is for us. We're not supposed to work. God can do whatever he wants. We can't work. Jesus walks up and says, my father works. I'm the son. I work. That's a huge statement. What's he saying? What's he mean? Do, do you understand what he means? Well, the li- religious leaders understand what he means. Look, at, look with me at verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. What does this mean? It means that Jesus is making himself equal with God. Jesus knows exactly what that statement is when he says it. More importantly, the Jewish leaders know exactly what he says when he says it. When he says, my father is working and I am working, they're going, do you know what he just said? He declared himself to be God. That's an overt statement by Jesus that I am God. Now, in the world around us today, it's not a popular thing to say that Jesus is God, fully God and fully man. It's not a popular thing. Most people like to say, okay, I'll read the Bible. You know what? Jesus got a lot of good things to say. He's a good teacher. I like some of that stuff he says. He's a good teacher, a good moral teacher. Now, here the words of C.S. Lewis are really helpful because he comes in and says, no, you can't hold that moral teacher ground. That's not a ground you can hold. He says this, I'm trying to prevent anyone uh, saying something really foolish about Jesus like he's a good moral teacher. I'm ready to accept Jesus to be a great moral teacher, but I don't want to accept him as God. That's the one thing, Lewis says, we can't say. A man who said he was merely a man and said all sorts of things like Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. And now this quote, you must make your choice. Either this man, Jesus, was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great moral teacher. You can't say that Jesus is a teacher, because the things he taught speak of the fact that he is God. Jesus drew a line in the sand, C.S. Lewis says, and you either believe it or you don't believe it. You believe that he's the authority and he's God or you don't believe it. You believe that as God, he's the ruler. His dominion stretches from sea to sea and from continent to continent and from planet to planet and galaxy to galaxy or you don't believe it. He's either the authority that rules over your life or he's not the authority that rules over your life. Either he's the king or he's not the king. There's no gray areas with Jesus. It's either yes or no. Yes or no. Now, if we go back to our super technical diagram again, here's me crawling towards the things I think will satisfy and listening to those who tell me how to get to that place that will satisfy. What's the thing that drives me forth? If 
if Jesus isn't ruling my life, what's the thing that drives me forth? What's the thing that convinces me that I should listen to that and I should listen, follow that? The thing that convinces me is my heart. My heart that says, follow that pool, Craig. Run to that thing, Craig. It'll make you satisfied, Craig. It'll fill you up, Craig. Fall, and listen to them who tell you how to get there, Craig. It's my heart speaking truth to me. But, 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 what if my heart is broken? What if my heart and your heart is the part of you that's been 38 years paralyzed? It doesn't work. It doesn't work right. What if it wants things that it shouldn't want? What if it wants some things that will only fill me up for a moment and then leave me hungry? What if it fails to see the thing that I need to be most satisfied in, the one I need to be most satisfied in? What if my heart is ruling me the wrong way? What if, what if there's a way out of this? What if there's a way out of this cycle of pool to pool to pool to pool? What if there's a way I can be satisfied fully and completely and find the thing that my heart most needs? What if Jesus stood at Bethesda and he came to heal more than just one man? Now the reality is, is that less than two years from this point in our story, Jesus Christ will fall into the hands of the religious leaders. Actually, he'll give himself into the hands of the religious leaders and they'll get their wish. They'll finally get to crucify him and kill him. But the story, the grand story of the Bible is that Jesus, as he goes to the cross, is not an innocent victim getting crushed and his life is over. No, he's the innocent Savior solving the problem of our hearts as he goes and carrying upon himself the sins of the world, Jesus Christ upon the cross, crucified, paying the punishment for our sin, the sin that we deserved, these crawling to these pools that we want so very much. He pays the price for that fully and completely so that forgiveness is found in the cross, forgiveness found in Jesus Christ as he quenches the wrath of the Father against us, and then, now, uh, crucified and then buried and then rose to life in three days, victorious over sin and death, Jesus stands now today, even today, and says to us all, do you want to be healed? So that even today, if we would hear our voice, hear his voice, that we would not harden his heart, uh, even today, that that, that if we would forsake our way and, and our thoughts and run to the Lord, that he would have mercy on us. Even today, that we would seek the Lord while he would be found. Even today, we would seek him and live. Now listen, that, that's a truth for us all. You understand this. This is a truth for us all. Isn't it true sometimes, as believers in Jesus Christ, we find ourselves somehow back in that pool of Bethesda again? Laying down again, looking at things and longing for things that don't satisfy and running to worldliness left, right, and center. If I could just have that, if I could just have that, if I could just have, I don't need you now, God, I want that. But even today, there's hope for us. Even today, if we would turn and confess, we would find life in him again. Even today, turn away from these pools that are in our heart. Today he calls us. Today he calls us to come to him, all who labored and are heavy laden, and he will give us rest. What if these things, what if John's right and, and, and these things were written so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that by believing we would have life in his name. What if it's true? What if God is calling us to life again today? Well, the question I have as we close today is, uh, how will Bethesda be repeated in this room here today? Uh, maybe today you'll, you'll leave and you'll get in your cars and you'll drive home and, and it'll be back to pool gazing. If I could just have that, if I could just have that, if I could just have that. And then you'll be left hungry and wanting more and weakened and tired and with the struggle of wanting more and being left hungry. If I could just have, if I could just have, if I could just have. Is that how Bethesda will be repeated? Or maybe, maybe, maybe Bethesda will be repeated in, in a better way. Hearing the voice. Do you want to be healed? Craig, I know you run to those things. Craig, I know that you think that in them there's satisfaction. I know that you get temporary pleasure, but do you want eternal joy? Do you want rest? Do you want life? Do you want to be healed? If so, it's only found in Jesus. Only Jesus gives life. Do you want to be healed? And, and you can be. You can be. Because Jesus gave his life for us so that we would find life in him. The abundant life. Let's pray. Lord, I, I got to think that I'm not the only one in this room who struggles in this way. I got to think I'm not the only one in this room who, who looks to things that don't satisfy and then finds himself looking again at things that don't satisfy and longing for uh, more stuff, more things, more relationships, a better life situation. I got to think I'm not the only one. But God, I do believe that this story was written for our instruction. I do believe that you brought this message to us today so that we would hear and understand that you are who you say you are. You are the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing in you, we would have life in your name. Not just a trivial life, but an abundant life. Satisfied, fully satisfied. Oh Lord, would you help us to see, would you help us to see, please, that right there, you are right there, even today, calling out to us. Do you want to be healed from these entrapments in our hearts? these things we love so much and think about so much, oh God, would you heal? Would you be convicting? Would you be challenging? Would you be shaping and moving and calling to your name and to the glory of you? And God, I pray now that as we would close our time together, as we would sing to you, I pray, God, we would sing as a prayer, as an offering of praise to you, of declaring that you are worthy, that there is none like you, of setting aside these entanglements in the world and the, the sin around us, Lord, and running and fleeing to you to find forgiveness and to find hope and to find life. Oh, Lord, your people need this. I need this, Lord, please. So, God, I pray you lift our voices now to sing to you the glory of who you are. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.